You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, your co-host, joined by Ben Badler, as always. Ben, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Carlos. How you doing? I am excited. I, I had Taco Bell for lunch today. I booked my first travel for the college baseball season. We had a few new albums released this morning. Uh, so I'm really feeling great. Uh, everything is is coming up big for me. I feel like not all of those things belong on the same scale, but I'm glad you're feeling great after <laughs> Taco Bell. That's that I'm, actually I'm, I'm feeling even so better far. because we have uh, Jeff Ponce on the podcast today making his future projection debut. Jeff, how are you doing, man? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Doing great, Carlos. Probably better than uh, your intestines will be doing in about <laughs> two hours. I like your Taco Bell let off the list of like great things going on. You know, it's just, it, I, I literally just finished eating before we started recording. We're recording this on a Friday. Um, and, you know, we talked about my fast food tier rankings in one of our first episodes, but I, I think I had it as a, as a 70 and I'm definitely keeping it there. It's just, it's just elite um what do you what do you go with like what's the go-to order at, at Taco previous Bell? previously the Crunchwrap supreme was the go-to but lately i've been switching it up and they have a really good chipotle chalupa now so if you guys have not tried that you need to check it out i don't i don't know where you're at on taco bell jeff ben i think you've made it pretty clear where you're at on taco bell but um y'all are missing out if you're not taking advantage i mean i got a box i got a box of like five things for six dollars that's just insane value the, my 11 uh, my 11 year old loves it so like i'll eat it every so often but mm-hmm. I, I typically stick with the doritos locos tacos yeah those are great too i mean the if we're talking value that's that's a different question but i don't you know I don't, it's all I don't baked know into you, it i don't know how you can go eight on chipotle and go taco bell one grade below chipotle <laughs> that's that's a tough one for me on the other hand dude chipotle is like it's getting expensive, man. Like they're yeah, everything they're charging is. you for everything. Like you do the online order, and I think they're skimping on. Like if you go double meat, they're not always giving you double meat either. <laughs> it's I got I some have bones actually, to pick with Chipotle. It's funny lately. that you bring up double meat. The first time I ever ate Chipotle with Ben, we go up to the line, and I think his his order was basically rice and like all of the steak that they had and wrapped into a tortilla. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all it was. <laughs> Ron Swanson. <laughs> but um no I, th- I think i have to stick with the 70 i mean it is it's definitely different than chipotle i would never argue that the, the actual quality of the food is is that close but when you combine the diversity of their menu the value the flavor at 2 a.m um it increases significantly if you're going at that time 
So, you know, there's a lot of things that are baked into it. It's not just a hit tool, Ben. You got to you gotta value the supplemental tools as well. You're, you're looking at the dollar per war for, for Taco Bell, I think. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We have to be efficient. Um, but moving on from, from fast food and Taco Bell, Jeff, why don't you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your background, how you came to be at BA. I know there are probably some listeners who have heard some of your other projects. Uh, you have a new podcast that you launched with us, the 90th percentile. So kind of plug that and just tell us what's your, what's your path to baseball America. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I have a, have a new podcast that's out there. Um, it's more of an interview style podcast where I'm trying to bring on um, people who are much smarter than myself when it comes to um, player development and all the elements that sort of fall underneath that, whether it's just in terms of training athletes better um, or, you know, getting more, more juice out of the fruit in terms of pitch movement and some of those things. But I was interested to talk to, you know, folks that are on the forefront of making players better. I started off with uh, the legend Tom House, who's been making, working with players since the early 1980s and, um, you know, has had legendary players, Hall of Fame players across multiple sports, um, three in particular with Mickelson, Brady and Breeze, and then, you know, Nolan Ryan and all the stuff that he did, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s with the Rangers. Um, and then this week I brought somebody on from, from Driveline, um, their pitching coordinator to talk a little bit through kind of just base terms. And, I, you know, my goal is to just try to um, bridge the gap a little bit between, um, you know, the at the game sort of scouting side of things and, you know, how we can take some of these new developments and new measurements and identify certain characteristics when we're live. You know, that's always what I'm trying to maximize and improve myself. Um, so my background, I, uh, <clears throat> I had, you know, kind of just a usual baseball fan sort of background. And then, um, I have three kids. And after my, uh, my second, my daughter was born eight or nine years ago. Um, I started, I, I was into fantasy baseball, was into baseball, was into prospects. And, uh, I got a job, started writing at a blog and, uh, it just grew from there. I initially wrote about like DFS for like a year and starting pitchers and, uh, the guy that did prospects left. I got that job and just had a lot of different ideas and just sort of ran with it. And, uh, that was 2015, and I was at Rasball, uh, which is the first site until 2018. Um, in terms of fantasy stuff, I created a lot of content that's kind of become standard FYPD lists and some of that stuff. Um, deeper uh, lists for fantasy that go deeper than the top 100. Um, and then I, you know, spent a lot of time at games and and talking to folks in the game and scouts. And my content and my interest in terms of the content I was doing really moved from. Uh, fantasy focused stuff to, um, you know, more scouting based stuff, more real baseball type of content. So that's the reason that I had started Prospects Live. Um, so I started that during the tail end of the season of 2018. I think we launched in September of 2018 and, um, you know, built that up for, for three years and was involved in, you know, really any element of content with the exception of the baseball card stuff that they do. Um, but, you know, I built up the draft team there. Um, you know, the, the scouting team uh, helped build up our, our YouTube and uh, all the other content we were doing in different mediums, too. So just, uh, you know, got a got a crash course on sort of the, the full spectrum of, of baseball content over the last couple of years and uh, had an opportunity to, to join up with with Baseball America. And, uh, you know, I've always read the handbook going back to um, early 2000s um, before I had kids and was going to a lot of minor league games. Um, 
And it was just an opportunity that I, you know, I, I obviously couldn't pass up and be able to do this full time and just work with a tremendous team. And uh, I'm not blowing smoke here when I say, you know, coming in November, right as we got into the handbook season and it's been uh, the best work experience I've ever had in 17 years since I got out of college. Um, great people here, really knowledgeable. They do things the right way. Um, and I feel like just even in the last three or four months, I've learned a lot and grown a lot just in terms of, you know, as a, as a journalist and, and all that sort of thing. So it was a, it was a long kind of unusual path to get here. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really excited and, and, and grateful that, you know, I, I had this opportunity to do this full time and, and, you know, join up with you guys. Yeah. Well, we're thrilled to have you. I know I've, I've learned a lot just working with you over the last few months. Uh, I love listening to your insights into the game, your knowledge of, of analytics and, and where player development is at. So I'm looking forward to continuing those conversations offline and listening to all the conversations you have on your podcast. So if, if you like this podcast, you'll certainly like Jeff's. It is the 90th percentile. You can find that on, I believe it's it's being distributed on all the major feeds. It's already on Apple. It's already on Spotify. Um, if, if there's any other feed that you guys want that podcast on that you don't see it on, um, there's a chance you could add the feed manually via our red circle page for all of our podcasts. I was talking with someone on Twitter who did that recently. Um, so that's available to you if you have some niche podcast player. Uh, and the same with this podcast, it should be available wherever, uh, wherever you want to listen to podcasts. And speaking of the handbook, I also wanted to take a second to just kind of plug if you guys weren't aware, we are handing out or giving out uh, PDF versions of the prospect handbook this year, if you order directly through Baseball America, there are some shipping issues. I think it's related to all the supply chain issues with printers. So the book is taking a little bit longer to be shipped out. Um, you will get the physical copy in your hands a little bit later than we typically do. So um, to kind of get you guys prepared for your fantasy leagues or just get ready for the season at a typical time. If you do order from us directly, you will get access to a PDF version that you can get pretty much as soon as you make the order. Um, so definitely look into that. Reach out to us if you have any questions or issues with it. I am looking at the, the PDF version right now, and it's, it's basically the entire handbook in a command F like searchable format. So Hopefully that is something that uh, will get you guys excited and we'll just kind of get you that information right now. It is awesome. Like that is an awesome thing to have. If, if you, like Carlos said, if you get a direct from us, we will send you that PDF. It's like you said, like you said, Carlos, you just search anything in there, get access to it quickly. You, you'll have it right away. All the feedback we've gotten from all you guys has been outstanding on it so um definitely appreciate all the orders that have come in and so obviously some of these supply chain things are out of our control so we just want to uh you know make sure make sure all you guys who, who ordered it direct from us can can get access to that as as quickly as possible yeah absolutely i think i still really enjoy like the the tactile sensation of reading the book physically and if i just want to like scroll through a chapter I would rather have it in my hands, but man, it's really nice to be able to just search for player names or search for various sections in the book. Like we have our farm system rankings that we're going to talk about on this episode that are up on the website right now. But I was, as I was kind of just prepping and, and looking over some of the teams, it was so nice just to be able to open that PDF and kind of search up a few of the teams, a few of the players I was looking for and just jump around that thing very quickly. Cause I mean, if you guys have had the handbook before, it's a massive 
massive book with a ton of information. So maybe this will make it a little bit more digestible if you're if you're at a game, if you're going to some minor league games or doing some spring training and you would rather just have your phone and kind of search through it. You see a player you don't really know about, you can pretty easily find it in the PDF version that you can access on your phone, on your laptop, whatever. I don't need to explain PDFs to you guys. You, you understand the deal. Um, but yeah, we wanted to talk about farm system rankings today on the pod. Our org talent rankings dropped on Wednesday, I believe. So if you have not checked them out on the site, you can now whenever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we have the Seattle Mariners in the number one spot. It is the first time that they have been the number one farm since we've started doing this, I believe going back to 1984, I think was the first year. Uh, yeah, the Mets were our number one team in 1984 and 1985. Um, fast forward a few decades and we have the Mariners in the top spot. So I just wanted to throw it out to you guys. What, what are your thoughts on the state of the, the talent rankings? Do you have any specific thoughts on the Mariners? Was it as we kind of went through the process of lining these teams up? Did you feel like they were the clear-cut number one? Are there a group of other other teams that you think have a case as the top organization or, or farm system in baseball? I'll throw it to you, Ben, first. What are your thoughts on the Mariners and, and this year's edition of the org talent rankings? Yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously the Mariners have a very strong farm system. Uh, I think you can probably make a case for any of the top four teams to be number one. I mean, I, you know, you'll get the Orioles who have – the the number one prospect in in baseball and Adley Rushman and you know it was not a slam dunk obvious number one this year you know like we've talked about before it's Adley and and Julio Rodriguez you know has a case for himself to be the number one prospect in baseball uh, as does does your boy Bobby Witt Jr. with the Royals but you know Adley is number one Grayson Rodriguez is the best pitching prospect in baseball they have five players in, in our top 100. So um, yeah, I, I think probably the the Mariners and, and, you know, some of the other clubs ahead of them have a, some more depth than the Orioles do. And, and I think that that'll change for the Orioles in, in the coming years, but it, it really shows just, just I, I think the lack of depth in, in the Orioles system, at least, at least relative to these other teams at the very top, of our farm system rankings is uh, heavily because they just ignored Latin America for, for so long. Like who, who is the best international prospect in the upper levels of the Orioles system, right? Like, like they just don't, the, the, those players just don't exist for them. Whereas the Mariners have, you know, Julio Rodriguez and Noel V Marte, right. It's, it's just a huge and, and even more depth beyond, those guys so they've you know they started changing things in 2019 2020 so um you know e even though they're gonna lose Adley Rushman and Grayson Rodriguez or not lose right like lose in quotes they're gonna graduate those players to to the major leagues very soon um I, I still think the Orioles in you know when we're having this conversation next year are gonna be an elite farm system just having again picking at the top of the draft and some of these guys moving up the the chain and, and a lot of good breakout candidates in the system. But um, yeah, I, I think you can make a case for any of these teams in, in the top four to, to be number one. But um, yeah, again, like, like I said, with, you know, Adley and Grayson Rodriguez being the top 
pitching prospect and the top uh, position prospect in baseball, you could at least make an argument for the same thing for Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby with the Mariners. I probably put Kirby just like a cut slightly below that Grayson Rodriguez and, and Shane Boz group, but um, you know, another team with five top 100 prospects, a whole bunch of premium guys and, and just a, like a good balance and, and diverse mix of, of talent up and down the organization, I think. I'll just throw it to you, Jeff. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think Ben made a good point on Baltimore. And one thing I'll I'll sort of add on top of that is when you look at this, they probably I don't think it's an indictment on the on the front office at all. They probably inherited the thinnest farm system by far. And they're just the the differences in the type of players that they would go after uh, under you know the the Elias um, regime versus Duquette is like night and day. I mean, Duquette was drafting softball players and, you know, <laughs> in the, in the late, you know, uh, you know, 2010s, um, which is not the way the game had been going. So I think there's some of that at play. And they're also a team that they're going to pick highly again this year, um, add another elite talent to maybe backfill a little bit, particularly on Rushman, who I think we don't have any questions is probably going to graduate. Um, but they've also done a really good job of identifying depth, and, you know, getting some good players and some guys that have ranked pretty highly uh, within their system outside of the first round. Um, so I think they, they deserve some credit there. But when we look at the rest of the list, like you said, Seattle is deep and they have that high end talent. And a lot of it's close to the majors and could have an impact, not just this year, but the next two, you know. Um, and then we, we slide back to the Rays. We know how deep that system is. I think the 2021 version of the Rays system was probably as deep as any system as you folks have probably ranked or rated um, at least in the last 10 to 15 years, just in terms of the amount of talent there. And then Pittsburgh was the one I kind of wanted to focus on. Um, they had a lot more of a case for the number one overall system than I think people probably would have anticipated coming into the process. That is an incredibly deep system. Um, and they did a really good job at the deadline of acquiring a fair amount of assets. And even before the season, when you look at the tie on trade where they added depth and they added good players that had breakout potential. And we saw a lot of that. Um, they have a, they have a, a, a group of players right on the cusp of their 40 man and some guys that are already on the 40 man roster, um, you know, that could be major league regulars. And I think that goes a little underrated and they've drafted really well in terms of the prep ranks. And some of those, there's a lot of talent in those ranks. Pittsburgh could be a monster over the next couple of years. They're, they're, to me, of the top five, I would say that Pittsburgh's probably the most most fascinating because I think we can look at the top guys at Kansas City and Baltimore and Tampa and Seattle and say, okay, that's pretty clear where there's a little bit more at play with Pittsburgh. Where we're looking at the full body of work um, and how good they've, they've done with acquiring talent. I mean, that 2021 draft class is loaded. I mean, I forget what the number was, but in terms of like top 30 or 40 players on your, your pre-draft board, yeah. Um, they had what, three or four that they, they signed? had four. I think Lonnie White was probably the guy that we had the lowest rated of that group. He was just outside of the first round range, I believe. But Henry Davis was obviously in there. Solomito was at the back of the first round. We had Bubba Chandler as like a uh, somewhere around number 20 on the draft board. And then Lonnie White, uh, we had him at times throughout the draft season inside that top 30. I think he finished just outside of it. But you, yeah, you could make a case that they got four legitimate first round talents, just how they 
maneuvered money, took an underslot deal with Henry Davis at the one 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 spot, um, and then put that towards a lot of these really high upside preps. And yeah, I am glad you brought up Pittsburgh because again, when kind of similar to you, when I was reading through the system, just in the editing stages for the prospect handbook, I was just sort of blown away with the upside as you get deeper and deeper into the system. It's, it's pretty normal for teams to have a bit of a fall off really after you get through like five to eight players. I feel like around once you get beyond the top 10, uh, the talent starts falling off pretty quickly for most teams. And it just kept coming with, with the pirates. The Cardinals was another team that, that I think I was excited about with their depth and just like the potential upside players, but Pittsburgh, man, they have a ton, like none of these guys should be graduate. Well, we have O'Neill Cruz at the top, but outside of him, like a lot of these guys should still be prospect eligible in the future. It wouldn't surprise me if in the future they had a really good shot to be a number one uh, farm system. Um, and you kind of, you touched on this and I want to see what you guys think, but what's really interesting to me about this top five group is you, you can make really compelling cases for Ben. You said four of them, I guess the Royals are maybe the, the one team that's really outside of that serious number one argument, but all of these teams are, are pretty typical bad at the major league level. You can see the rebuild coming a lot of impact talent coming in the pipeline with the exception of the Rays. Um, and it's, I mean, this is not a surprise to anyone with how they're able to, consistently get really impressive players through their system, develop players at an impressive rate, seemingly win every trade they make. Um, their, their pitching development has been insane. And oh, also they had the number one prospect in baseball and Wander Franco for several years, who's not eligible for this list this year. And they're still in the number two spot. And given their depth, you can make a very compelling case that they're, they deserve to be the number one team. So, I mean, how difficult is it been for a team to have the number one farm system in 2022 and 2021 number two this year in 2022 i think they were top five in 2019 and 2018 as well i mean they're consistently at the top of these rankings over the last half decade oh and they're uh, a threat to get to the world series every year in arguably the toughest division in baseball i mean that i feel like that really speaks to how well the rays do everything which, which means they're also consistently picking toward the back of the draft right so, so they have they don't have access to the same players as the, some of these teams above them uh, or in that neighborhood. <laughs> it's only one other team yeah. above them. In our... If you look at their, their last few drafts, they picked 28, 24, 22, 16, and 31 in 2018. They had a few extra comp picks, which helps. Um, and then in 2017, that's their highest pick. And really this decade, going back into the 2010s, they picked four in 2017. Then if you go back to... 2009 they picked either 13 or later so they, they're really never picking in the top 10 right so the i mean the, the caveat is obviously that they're also more consistently trading for prospects by trading away their you know the good big league players almost as as soon as they become arbitration eligible or or soon after that so they they should be getting more talent that way but like you said, they consistently hit on their trades and, and they consistently seem to develop those players too. I mean, Shane Boz, like it took a huge leap forward over, over the past year, or maybe it was the past two years. Cause obviously of, you know, what happened in, in 2020, it's, it's hard to say exactly, but um, you know, took a huge step forward with his, with his control 
Um, I mean, Curtis Mead, it, it's not like everyone was, you know, jumping up and oh, the race stole Curtis Mead. Like <laughs> when that happened, that, that was not the case. Uh, they did a really good job of identifying him and, and he's, you know, certainly developed clearly into a top 100 prospect like Taj Brad, like, you know, Taj Bradley came up with them and has, you know, done a tremendous job. I think, I think, like I said, on the last podcast, I think he still flies under the radar, but I mean, this guy is one of the best pitching prospects in, in baseball. So yeah, I mean, they, they should have a, you know, an advantage and just as far as their farm system rankings, just because they are consistently trading for so many prospects, but they don't have access to, you know, the premium players in the draft and they're clearly trading for the right guys and, and developing these guys well. So, um, you know, and it's a strategy that is as much as it, I'm sure drives a lot of people crazy. And I'm sure including a lot of Rays fans, it, it also works for them. They consistently are contending at the major league level and they're, you know, replenishing through, through the farm system too. bringing up, you know, you said Wander Franco. I mean, they graduated I mean, another traded guy like Randy Rosarino also graduated from, from their organization. And they're, you know, they're still one of the best teams in baseball, just as far as their, their farm system right now. What are your thoughts on how the, just the financial component of the Rays impacts their structure and how they do things? Because I, I've always thought, well, if you, if you take what the Rays do and you give them the Dodgers payroll or just willingness to spend, maybe even not at the level of the Dodgers, but like a top five or a top 10 team in baseball, do you think that just tacks onto the success or do you think a lot of the success that they've had is because they've been limited? So they have had to think creatively. They have had to shuffle those players who are coming up near the end of their team control and, and kind of recycle the system consistently. You, do you think there's a way where you can kind of have the best of both worlds or do you think their success is reliant on or not reliant, but in part stemming from the financial constraints? And I'll really just throw this to either of you guys, if you have takes on it, because I've never really thought about it from that perspective. I, I generally think, Oh, why don't you just spend more and then you'll be even better? Didn't didn't the Dodgers sort of hire Friedman to essentially copy the model? And then since then they've continued to kill the draft. <laughs> right? I, like, and even the picks, the players they acquire, like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say Ryan Noda is gonna be a guy, but he was essentially thrown away by the Blue Jays. They get him for a song. And he had an incredible year at double A can play multiple spots and his contact and approach is way better than we realized. Um, I think it's the same with the Rays. I think they're identifying players that are better than their organizations believe they, them to be. Um, I think a perfect example, and I love Tobias Myers. I thought he was a really fun pop-up arm for them this year. And I kind of was following coming into the year. I like the shape of his fastball. He's got some good secondaries. He throws strikes. They got Junior Caminero, and I've had folks that, you know, have worked the complexes DSL that have told me that Caminero is a shot to be like a top five prospect in that, that system within two years. Um, now, that might be hyperbole, you know, you don't know, but they've done it before. They did it with Curtis Mead. It's like they find a way to leverage everything, no matter what they're – even when they're in a bad situation, they still find a way – to come up Rosie, they're up against the 40 man, you know, cutoff. They have a bunch of guys they can't protect. They trade out a guy they have to make a decision on, get back a high upside player. 
backfill the system. It doesn't hurt them at all. It gives them some more talent. They have plenty of arms. So Myers was disposable. I don't know if they necessarily have to do stuff like that because I think that's where they win. I don't know if they necessarily have to do stuff like that if they have a $200 million payroll. I think they still do. Maybe what they can do is they can go out and they can acquire and they can sign a free agent, um, you know, at a $20 million a year clip. They probably still can now. They just choose not to. Um, and they have enough talent that they probably can avoid it. Um, but they're not going to make a Mookie Betts trade. They could, but they're not going to make a Mookie Betts trade. So I think that's where it holds them back. I think in terms of some of the other places that they operate, I just think they're really good at identifying value um, at their given draft spot whatever their bonus pool is or what their situation is in terms of roster structure. They've just done it over and over and over again for several years. And I think the thing that's remarkable is they're not going to, they're not going to leave the top. They could win a world series. They could win two. They could win the ALEs for three consecutive years and still probably have a top 10 farm system. And that's, that's crazy. I mean, the only other team that's probably within in terms of competitiveness and being able to, draft and develop talent is 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 probably the dodgers just in terms yeah the dodgers just looking at kind of where their farm system has ranked over the last five years they've consistently been in the top 10 it's not quite as gaudy as the rays the chicken at number eight this year but the last five years prior to this year they were number nine number three number 10 number nine and number two so they're still in the top third of all our organizations in our org rankings uh, on top of all the success, I mean, they they had the best winning percentage in baseball throughout the 2010s. Um, and for me, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but for my money, if I had to pick a team of the 2010s, I'm taking the Dodgers over the Giants in their three World Series every day of the week, just because I think that's more difficult to do. But I, I guess, do you guys want to touch on some orgs that are trending up or a few that are trending down? It's, it's interesting kind of just in relation to this conversation with the Rays, because we have three teams who have been the number one Oregon baseball three or more times in, in baseball America's history of doing this. The Rays check in at number two with five. The Braves are the number one team in that category. They're at six and the Blue Jays are the third team. They've been the number one organization in baseball three times on these talent rankings. Both the Braves and the Blue Jays took pretty significant falls um, year over year in our rankings this year. They were both teams that were I think in the top 10 and now they're in the middle of the pack or the bottom third in the league. The Braves were six last year. They're now number 22. And I think kind of in relation to your point about the Orioles, Ben, a, a real limiting factor for Atlanta is the lower level depth. And a huge part of that is the international sanctions. I mean, do people, do people outside of, I, I guess just do people in general underestimate how important just nailing the international market is? for these rankings and just keeping your system healthy? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if people underrate it or not, but if, I mean, MLB basically turned the Braves into the Orioles, for, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a couple of years and, you know, wiped out the players they did sign, which in retrospect, most of them have not turned out to be all that yeah, great. It doesn't, doesn't look anyway, good. from, from the players they, they lost, you know, the, previous regime obviously did pretty well i would say with acuna and and ozzy albies right but the players they lost that you know Maiton, you know abrahan gutierrez group you know there's some decent players still in there but uh they didn't lose 
Francisco Alvarez or Diego Cartaya or Marco Luciano. They didn't lose somebody like that. So, but yeah, I mean, if you're not, you just don't have those lower level players in from, from the international ranks. And, you know, again, the Braves have been picking toward the, the back of the drafts recently and, and they graduated a bunch of guys and I'm sure Braves fans don't really care right now at all. <laughs> so Absolutely. I'm sure they're, they're pretty happy, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, like, yeah, like we talked about the, the Dodgers, it's another, like, that's a team that again, like the Rays has been picking at the back of the draft or, or at least in the back half of the draft for a long, long time. They consistently have success there and they're having success with, international players i mean diego cartaya miguel vargas are both top 100 guys i mean you, you compare the the dodgers to the rays where i mean the rays are trading for prospects and the dodgers are trading away their guys so like you know they signed o'neill cruz <laughs> they signed kiebert ruiz i mean like if they had those two guys they, they would have seven top 100 prospects right? like they would have more than anybody you can make a case for them to be number one. So it's, I mean, I don't know if they're trending up or it's just so just impressive that they continue to have a top 10 farm system with all of the, you know, success that they've had and what that means for where you pick in the draft and, and you're trading away prospects still, and you're still top 10. I mean, yeah, like they spend a lot of money at the major league level, but money doesn't, you know, maybe it helps on, on development or it increases the size of your scouting staff. But as far as your budget for what you can spend internationally or in the draft, you know, your market size or your, you know, how large your team's revenues are not really a factor there other than, you know, I guess if you're, if you're a smaller market club, you actually have some advantages just as they, MLB likes to throw some competitive imbalance picks at you to, to tilt the draft a little bit in your favor. So, like and I always knew you were a huge fan of those comp picks. It's your favorite yeah. part of the draft, right? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody thinks that, you know, the Cardinals should get extra picks every year, right? Like, <laughs> or, or just, just the idea of like in the call, calling it competitive balance and specifically giving some of the owners are poor and picks. they can't afford the players Ben, come on just yeah i don't know but <laughs> yeah but but ben anyway the, the the dodgers are just such a impressive organization just in terms of their their scouting and, and player development both domestically and internationally it's i mean this is why they're gonna keep consistently winning over at least over the next few years yeah, absolutely. Another team that is really interesting to me is outside of this conversation of teams that are that have an argument for the number one um, talent system in baseball, and that's the Tigers, because I think you can make a very easy and compelling case. I mean, I, I would probably just take them. If you had to pick the best one-two punch of any system in baseball, I don't know how it's not the Tigers. They've got Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson at the top of their farm system those are two guys ranked in the top five in all of baseball. Like that's an elite duo of bats. Obviously we talked about the, the Orioles and the Mariners having cases for top hitting prospect in the game and top pitching prospect in the game. But if, if I'm starting a farm system, I would rather just take two hitters. We all know the attrition risk of pitchers. It's a little bit scarier, but 
both of those guys seem like pretty good locks to be really good baseball players for a long time. Where, where do we view the Tigers system now? Um, and how, how is this system going to impact their team? They've obviously been on a rebuild for a few years. Uh, their, their system has trended up. They were 25, 20, 14, 11, five, and they're kind of in that consistent five to six spot these last two years. How do we, how do we think about the Tigers at this point? Um, so I worked a little bit on that one, just editing, et cetera, in the handbook. And it's funny because when I was looking at this list, the question that you asked before, they seem like the system that's most likely to take a pretty substantial drop in, you know, 2023 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to graduate green and, and torque. I don't think we have much question about that. I mean, barring some terrible injury, both of those guys should be up by like May. Let's hope. Yeah, I'd love to see them up earlier, but that's the Tigers three and four hitters probably, or their leadoff guy and their three hitter. Um, so there's, there's not, you know, too much question in terms of, you know, the impact they could have and, and the impact they could have this year is probably tough to measure against anybody else. The issue for the Tigers is after that, they drop off a little bit. Um, and I think, I think that's going to be the issue for them is, you know, they've had a nice run of Casey Mize and, you know, obviously Manning's still there, but like, you know, Manning and, um, even like Scooble kind of being a big pop for them. Um, and then the, the couple of hitters that they had, I don't know if they're going to be able to find a guy like that. I mean, may, maybe in the draft, but it's not going to be along the level of, you know, probably not going to be along the level of what Green's become and certainly not going to be sort of that, that instant system bump that Torkelson is. Um, they have a, a fair amount of interesting um, international kids that are, you know, split between DSL and then their Florida complex team. Um, so maybe some of those guys, but none of them seem to have top 50 sort of upside unless some things really go right for them. You know, they got Jackson Job certainly, you know, could, could come out, have a great year. Um, but in terms of rankings, we typically see the top prep arms, at least from my experience, take a little step back. Doesn't mean they're not top 100 players. Job certainly is, but um, you know, he'd have to be absolutely remarkable. You know, he'd have to have a, a, a Forrest Whitley type of first mm-hmm. full pro season yep. for, for him to kind of reach those levels. And I, I don't know if he does. I mean, Dingler, Workman, Madden, Kreidler, um, even Joey Wentz, I think are all pro players. And, and you know, a few of those guys might turn out to be everyday major leaguers, um, but there's no real stars there. I mean, they're going to need like Christian Santana, Seguera or Colt Keith or someone like that to have an absolutely tremendous year. And then once you get past 15, I really don't love the back end of the, of the tiger system. There's a lot of, you know, up and down roll 30 sort of starters um, and relievers and uh, a lot of just sort of high upside kids that haven't really panned out yet. So it's once you get into the back half of the tigers list, it's not as exciting, Um, but they do have a pretty stacked top three, really. I mean, I'm kind of, underselling Joe at the beginning of my comments a little bit, but you know, he was the top fret pitcher for a reason. And yeah. um, you know, all the contacts we've had that have seen Job and spent time on him rave about him. So um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he can't turn out to be a star. It's just tough for those prep arms. Yeah. One year out of the draft to take that kind of jump in my opinion. We've talked a lot about kind of top end talent versus depth. Um, obviously the teams that have both are going to be the teams that rank highly on a list like this, but 
how much stock do you guys, or I guess, what are your preferences when we try to balance those two? Um, I probably would tend to lean towards rather having a, a top heavy system um, because you could, you could look at some teams like the twins or like the Indians where the depth is just really, really impressive. There are a lot of players that you see that, that are going to provide major league value and be, whether that's like steady low end regulars or bench pieces or relief options. I mean, the twins have a ton of those guys in their system. Would you rather have a team that's incredibly deep in that regard, or would you rather have a top end system like a Baltimore or like a Detroit? I think I tend to lean towards the the top end just because those players really move the needle a bit more. In my opinion, they can change a competitive window for you in a way that a few role players and, and maybe low end regulars just don't have the ability to do. And also those players are the hardest to get. So I think BA generally leans a little bit more towards top end, but I'm curious of, of how you guys see this, this balance and, and where your preferences lie. Ben, I'll, I'll let you go first. So there are a couple of things. It's, it's a, you know, it, it's a balance between the, the high end players and what I would call legitimate depth within your organization so if somebody came to the tigers and said hey uh we want riley green we'll give you our number uh six and 10 and 17 and 29 and 37 prospect you're gonna be like no like that's (laughs) that's that we're not doing that like I'm, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this who isn't a fantasy league has had that happen at one point or another and you're like stop that that's we're not 20 like, third round picks for patrick mahomes it's what <laughs> those i mean in particular like a top 25 overall position prospect the value of those guys the the success rate of those guys is so good and it's it, it would be the same, not just looking at the BA list, if, if you'll get anybody's list, because it's it's pretty much all gonna be the same guys because it's gonna be the obvious players. And look, and when you look at historically the number one prospect in baseball or the top three guys, you still have you know your Jesus Monteros within that group, but you also have quite a few Hall of Famers or or guys who are are borderline or probably should be in in the hall of fame drew jones yeah so it's the those those high-end guys are what drive the most value for for a farm system but if you have legitimate depth i mean that's that's real where i think it gets lost sometimes is what whatever whatever organization you know the best you're probably going to overrate the depth of that farm system. So that's definitely a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Your team, you you probably overrate your team's farm system that I think that's generally true, whether you work for a club, right? Like I think there's 29 clubs that think are in our farm system rankings that they're underrated. Maybe even the Mariners think they're, under what well, I probably like, Oh, there's, we, we have guys that like are, you know, not getting their due. Right. But that goes for whether you're, you know, working for a club, whether you're a fan of that team, whether you are a writer. 
who covers I can that tell team. you the first time that I did a prospect handbook chapter with BA and was kind of learning how to do all this, I was much higher on the Braves back end guys because, or actually I think it was the nationals. So maybe it wasn't the nationals because that system wasn't great. The, the tiers that I had it, but like when you are very focused on one team and you've done a lot of work on these players, you just have more familiarity with them. Whereas you don't really know the depth pieces in another organization. So it's very hard to kind of balance and to, to scale a team relative to others without just, I mean, it's just a, a fact that if you're focused on one team, you're going to know all the other teams less. So trying to balance those biases that are going to come into play is difficult. It's very real. It's something that I've kind of had to try to learn to adjust to and, and just be a little bit more broad in how I tackle all of this. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'll include us as well in that. I mean, if you write up a team, for the prospect handbook, if you're running up a team's top 30 or, or top 40, you are going to know, you know, if I write up the Blue Jays top 30, I'm going to know the Blue Jays system more in depth than I'm going to know the the Diamondbacks top 30, right? If you're a fan of the Blue Jays or you work in the Blue Jays front office, you're going to know your number 32 player in your organization better than you're going to know the Colorado Rockies number 32 or number 21 prospect even right like there's just so many players so I mean these are you know these are just biases that are built in and they're biases because we don't you know we don't recognize them or we don't (laughs) we don't see them so the more intimately familiar you are with an organization the more prone you're going to be to overrate the depth within that organization generally speaking. Yeah, Jeff, do you have any thoughts on, on top end versus depth or just following up on Ben's conversation or comments? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's the value of, um, you know, how we go through the process and, and having, you know, sort of like a scrum larger conversation because we've all worked on different systems, proved different systems. So we have different levels of comfort and familiarity with uh, a particular system's depth. Um, but for that reason, I think it's also, you know, much in the eye of the beholder, especially, especially once you get like 20 to 35 or 40, because we do, you know, obviously rank up 40 guys. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the differences are, are small. So it's, it's tough to even quantify that depth, which I think, you know, going back to the initial question is, um, it's really hard to first off identify and then develop <laughs> elite talent um that's the goal of drafting it's the goal of signing players it's the reason you have pd people it's the reason we have the minor leagues it's why the system is what it is you know um it's not like you know hockey where they're sending some guy back to juniors or or basketball where a guy's coming in and probably playing 25 minutes right off the bat same thing with football they're probably going to slot into whatever the situational you know um that they fit best in um where baseball, I mean, you're, you're an apprentice essentially for three years. So there's a lot that can go wrong. I, and I think it's one of the, the, the reasons that pitching prospects are, you know, typically um, a little bit more risky just because one injury can knock out a year and a half and really throw that development track off path. So we have to give credit to teams that have been able to identify good players, develop them, and get them up to the major leagues, or at least at a point where they're very close to the major leagues. Um, because ultimately, that's what wins games. It's what wins championships. And it's the reason that, 
you know, we have the, the record or the teams that we've put in the top spot have the record that they've had over the last couple of decades in terms of turning into contenders and championship organizations. So um, you need great players. So that's, you know, that's number one. You may not want to tell the owners that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I tweeted something. I think Kyle wrote about this when we released the org talent rankings, but the track record for the number one farm system in baseball is quite good. Um, going back to 2005, I think it was 16 of the 17 teams that were in the number one spot went on to make the playoffs um, within two years of that ranking. And the only exception to that, the 17th team um, was the Royals, and they took three years to make the playoffs and wound up winning the World Series with that kind of collection of talent. So the 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 track record is quite good. And I don't say this to like kind of pat BA's back with this, but it, it it's very clear if you assemble a ton of talent, you're going to have some success in the future. So, I mean, Mariners fans who have missed out on the playoffs for quite a long time now, hopefully you're excited about the future. I, I can't imagine you're not excited about the future. Maybe there are some fans who are just so jaded that you're just waiting for it to all collapse. You're waiting for the Mariners to be the, the second exception to the rule and also not have the success the Royals had just a little bit more delayed. But um, yeah, being in the- it would be, I was going to say you would think it would be clear, but like one of the most common responses from people, like when we post our farm system rankings is yeah, but far that, that doesn't matter. Like that doesn't win championships, but like yeah. Kyle just showed, I mean, <laughs> you could just look at it does. You, know, you don't think facts, having, sir. you don't have, you don't think having the, the collection of yeah. the best young players mm-hmm. who are going to be under your team control for six to seven years, in the prime of their career is going to have any, any correlation to winning at the major league level. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how much I see that, that criticism or that take thrown around. I know it exists and it probably comes out every year, but I'm just probably so inundated in the kind of prospect community where probably it goes too far the other way where everyone wants to hang on to every single prospect. And I'm like, no, like most of these guys are not going to pan out. Please trade them for major league talent now. But yeah, I don't know if that's just a like a, a criticism of the the specific rankings, but I mean, who who is going to get at that like underlying argument and and argue that having a lot of talent is a bad thing or doesn't matter? I, I don't. It, it would fall apart pretty quickly if you actually like had a conversation with someone who thought that. I would imagine. I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, outside of criticisms of ranking um, organizational talent, who are some teams that you guys think are either poised to jump up in the future or teams that maybe you're personally higher on than where our ranking might suggest? Uh, Kyle wrote a piece for the site that's live now on five organizations who could jump um, between now and 2023, so a year from now. They have a chance to be a lot better than than where they sit on our list now. I will link to that in the comments. Um, but I just wanted to throw it out at you guys. I think for me, one of the teams that I really liked is Boston, again, because I, I feel like I'm biased towards top end, and I really like their top three collection of hitters. And Marcelo Meyer, Chisin Casas, and Nick York, I'm very high on those three. Uh, we have them just outside of the top ten. I think I would have probably placed them a little bit higher. Um, but, but who are some organizations that are maybe not in this elite tier that we've been discussing that you guys are, are high on Jeff, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah. I think the first one I'll throw out there is, um, the Cubs and, you know, I had done this podcast, uh, going over the rankings, um, with Kyle actually 
last week. And they, they're really interesting. I mean, they only had a couple of top 100 prospects, but I think when we, we totaled up the article I did following the top 100, we totaled up all the votes. They had, they had like 10 players or something like that that had received top 150 votes from our team. Um, and I think that sort of speaks to where they're at, where um, outside of Brennan Davis, there's no really like sure things in the entire system, but there's a lot of talent. Um, and it, they made a, you know, they made a fairly significant jump um, from 2021 to, uh, to 2022, jumping from 22 to 15. Um, but they acquired so many players that let's say, even if it's a 50% hit rate in terms of them improving over the next year, they could have a really talented crop of arms and position guys going into 2023 that have all taken a step forward. And all of a sudden we're talking about the Cubs as a top 10 sort of farm system. Yeah. I really like a lot of these like high school hitters. I'm, I'm sure there are a couple that you really like in this group, Jeff, but like just looking at their depth chart, like Ed Howard, Pete Crow Armstrong, Owen Casey had a really good year. I know you're very high in James Triantos. Like a lot of those guys they're they're at the stage in their careers where they could take a big step forward and really have a tremendous rise in, in rankings individually. And if a few of those guys step forward, they could be in a really good spot. I'm very high on Jordan Wicks. I really like that pick this past year. So yeah, I could definitely see that as well. And, and I didn't mean bad. to cut you off. Feel free to keep, keep going. And they're bad, which I think probably helps them a ton, <laughs> right? They're going to end up picking higher in the draft. They're a team that has some money, uh, you know, so if they're, they're able to, to take something on, take back a prospect, they can do some of that stuff that, you know, the Padres were doing um, before they kind of open up their initial window with Preller. Um, we'll see how that shakes out, but they, they have more flexibility maybe than some of these other rebuilders. Um, the other team that I'll, I'll mention, they're already in the top 10. So it's kind of cheating, I think a little bit, but I really oh, if like, you like them. If you like them, go for them. I like where the Rangers are headed, man. I could see them being a, a top two or three system this time next year. Um, they'll probably gra graduate Josh Young, but I think the, the rest of their talent, probably not. They're going to pick high again. Um, they've really changed their philosophy in terms of how they're attacking uh, the amateur side of things, um, which I appreciate. I think they're drafting better. Um, they have a code, they have a philosophy they're sticking to, and I think it's in line with their development. Um, they've really upped a lot of their supporting staff, development coaches, um, the scouting departments. They've added uh, positions um, within analytics, a ton of They probably hired more analytics folks than any other team in terms of like numbers over the last two years. I mean, they've really, you know, um, Chris Young since he's come on has, has really kind of given them some direction that I think they lacked a little bit. Um, and I know we were talking about, I think offline yesterday in, in, in the PA Slack, but um, their philosophy was like these high upside prep players for years and they kept getting burned and, and a lot of injured pitchers too. I started looking back on it. They had a ton of injured pitchers. Yeah, there. they've had a lot. They're going after like more, analytical darlings they've gone after or college guys at the top of the draft some of that might be how the draft shook out mm -hmm. but um you know lighter young some of these players even Foscu. Foscu, yeah their last three yeah. first round picks were very much like college performers the safe safer profiles not not that jack lighter is like not a high upside player as well he was the yeah. the number two pick in the draft but certainly Foscu at the time i think people were like oh we didn't know if we'd see him there but I mean, very impressive track record as a hitter. Josh Young, same kind of deal. Um, you definitely saw a shift. It seemed like in that 2019 draft class or around that range, 
um, where, where they've shifted. And I believe the Rangers are also the biggest riser year over year in our org talent rankings. They were 24 in 2021. And now they're sitting at nine, like you said, Jeff, inside the top 10. So heading in the right direction, I think health with a lot of their prospects has a lot to do with that, but certainly it's, it's interesting to note um, just the, the shift in philosophy that you're talking about and to kind of pay attention to that moving forward. But Ben, are there any, any clubs that, that you're high on or you like, or you think could take a step forward in the future? I think we need more cognitive diversity on this one because Jeff, <laughs> Jeff just said the two organizations I was going <laughs> to bring up with the Rangers and and the Cubs. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. What was there anything that he left out that you want to add? Because I mean, we don't always have to disagree well, to have interesting conversations. Well, the, well, yeah, I mean, it's just like what you were talking about the Rangers, the steps forward they took, you know, guys like Dustin Harris, uh, you know, Evan Carter, Luis San Jolacuna, uh, Mora Bell, uh, the outfielder they signed out of, the, out of the DR a couple of years ago. They have some good breakout candidates and, the guy like you know Josh Young, Cole Wynn took big steps forward this year. Uh, Owen White again. We talked about so many injuries in that organization came back and and looked strong this year. I'm you know excited to see what Ricky Venasco looks like when when he's back. So um, you know in another organization and again that they're going to have a, a high draft pick. So should add even more talent to the organization, even if, you know, young does, does graduate. So another team that I think will continue to be a, a top 10 system this time next year. And I mean, when we were talking about the Cubs earlier, they're, they're just, I, I think they're ranked in the appropriate spot now, but they have the upside to be top 10 top five type organization just because so much of that talent in the system is congregated at the lower levels with you know guys like you met like triantos and owen casey and and obviously you know pete crow armstrong christian hernandez kevin alcantara um you know ed howard is almost like buried <laughs> it seems like as a, a first round pick from a couple of years ago, they got Reggie Preciado. There's so many guys who, you know, a lot of them have come over in, in trade. Some of them have been homegrown players too. Obviously Hernandez from the DR and, and Triantos and some of these other guys through the draft, but they, they just have a, just a really deep array of players who I, I could see being top 100 prospects within the next year. Now, most of them won't be right. Like that, that's just what happens with prospects, but they just have such a strong depth of breakout type guys in the lower levels of the system that I, I think is really exciting. Um, the, the one other team I, I, I would mention too, is the Marlins who, yeah, who, who already do have quite a few players. I think Marlins can take us by the way, for where, where we've had their organization ranked the last few years. <laughs> I, I think we got 29 teams that think they're underrated. So it's, I mean, they have, I mean, Yuri Perez, I love him. Khalil Watson. Um, I, I thought he was a steal in the draft. Uh, Jake Eater, really curious to see how he looks when, when he comes back. So, uh, and, and a couple really, really good breakout, I think top 100 upside type guys in the lower levels in Jose Salas and, and Ian Lewis again from that 2019 international class with the Marlins. So I, I don't 
know that their depth is as strong as some of the other, um, you know, organizations ahead of them. And, uh, you know, Perez, I think we have what in, in the forties somewhere in, in our top 100. So they don't, they don't have the ultra, ultra high end guys of, you know, a system like the tigers or some of the teams we were, we were talking about or, or the Rangers right now. Uh, but I, I think there is, you know, uh, this is this is one system where I can see, um, you know, maybe you you could do. You only certainly argue that they might belong a little bit higher than than where we have them. Yeah, one team that I wanted to mention um, is the Diamondbacks. We have them at number ten, and their team is littered with a bunch of draft players of recent years who I was just personally very high on. I mean, they got the number one player on our draft board, and Jordan Lawler at pick number six last year. They're going to pick. Number two in the 2022 drafts, so I have a chance to, to keep adding talent. I really like a lot of the hitters that they have selected over the last few years. It seems like they have an act for identifying good hit tools. Um, Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll are kind of topping the list for that department. Um, smaller guys, but guys, I think I was probably the highest person in the office on Alec Thomas when we were talking about top 100 and line players up. I just love what he's able to do with the bat. I think Corbin Carroll and, and both Jordan Lawler would – I mean, not that they are not very prominently ranked on our top 100, even with shoulder injuries, but just imagine, I mean, Corbin Carroll, we could be talking about him in a much different light if he had a full, full healthy season, just based on what he was flashing prior to, to getting hurt. I think we could be talking about him a little bit more like Anthony Volpe is being talked about, depending on, uh, on his health status. They have, they have some arms that I'm really high on. I love Blake Walston. I really like Slade Chaconi. I think he's got massive upside. Guys like Bryce Jarvis, who have been impressive in the past as well. I just think they have a really good mix of bats that I'm very confident in hitting at premium up the middle positions. Uh, I'm probably one of the higher guys on Adrian Del Castillo still. I know he didn't have a great draft year, but I'm really interested to see kind of what his development path is with the D-backs. And then, I mean, they're going to have a chance to add another elite hitter uh, in, in 2022, if they want to continue stacking bats and with the way this class is shaping up, I don't know why you would want to pass up uh, one of the bats that should be available at number two. And um, just given where the talent in the 2022 class lies, uh, we've got a chance for a uh, former baseball American Hudson Belinsky to end up with the uh, first pick for the, the D backs. There's a lot of really good Georgia players uh, and Hudson's the Georgia area scout for Arizona. So it would also just be kind of fun if he was able to, uh, to nab a, a first rounder for them, Jamar Johnson and Drew Jones certainly would make sense in in that spot in the draft, just based on talent. Uh, and I think Jamar Johnson, especially, is kind of right up Arizona's alley in terms of like hit tools um, that they have appreciated in previous drafts. So that's one that I would point to. I think they have a lot of young players who, with health and just continued development, um, could move up in in twenty twenty three. So that's that's one that I like. Any others that you guys want to mention here before we move on to another topic? Yeah, I wanted to sort of mention this one um, just because I got some questions on it in particular. Uh, and that was the Marlins ranking and sort of where we fell on that. Because um, yeah. I think I think some of that was sort of the algorithm and, and the scoring that we use. And it was tight with a few different teams. Mm-hmm. At the personal level, I might prefer them more. I think in the th- the four teams that are in front of them, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I, it's tough because they were a team that I think was top ten for us last year. Um, so they had a pretty big drop, and I don't know if there was necessarily like a 
really justifiable reason. Maybe it's, I think it's depth, but um, that's the only one that I, when I looked back, I was kind of like, I wish they were higher. <laughs> yeah, I think certainly a big factor for them being lower is just how reliant their system is on arms. Yeah. And I know obviously like with, with some of the, I don't know what, what we call it, like the, the projection systems or just the valuation systems that the pitchers certainly get dinged more than the hitters. So I'd imagine that is a factor. Uh, where do you stay on the Marlins, Ben? Because I, I, I can't see how you can make a case for them being higher. And I also think too, just kind of how the ordinal ranks maybe can throw off clusters. Like there are a lot of teams, really once you get down into the list, you could make a case for a team being six spots higher or six spots lower. Like the separation that we actually see with these teams talent-wise is maybe significantly closer than uh, a number beside their name might indicate. Yeah, I think especially when you talk about the middle tier of farm systems, like I don't know if there's a great gap between, say, you know, again, like 11 to 20. Um, I think it's a much bigger gap than <laughs> there is from even 20 to you know, 23, right? Like with the, <laughs> with the Phillies where you, you start to see a pretty significant degradation in the quality <laughs> of, of the farm systems uh, in that range and, and below. So I, I, you know, I, I guess you can look at the Marlins, just the, the ranking itself and say, Oh, well, they're, they're kind of in the back half, but to me, they're, you know, they're more of like a middle tier type system where I, I think you can argue them higher again, like Yuri Perez is, is their top guy at, at 48. So, uh, you know, I, I like a lot of their players and again, like even, you know, Ian Lewis and Jose Salas, I think are good breakout candidates. So I, I think there's, there's definitely talent in, in that organization. And you can certainly make an argument to justify moving them higher up the list. I'm kind of looking at the bottom of the list. I feel like the middle, the middle of the list is maybe the hardest part to kind of sort out and, and put a finalized order on because the, all the teams are so close, but it seems like the very top end of the list, the very bottom of the list, we typically, at least in the years that I've done it, we've typically had the right group of orgs in that conversation. And it wasn't too terrible to try and sort them out. How do you guys view the bottom of this list? We have, uh, the White Sox checking in at number 30, the Angels at 29, and the Astros at 28. Are those the clear bottom three in your mind? And I guess, how do you view where these teams are at? Because for the White Sox, I think if you're a fan of the team, you can kind of be a little bit more okay with this ranking because part of the reason you're down here is because you've done, you've done your job and graduated a number of prospects to your major league team who are contributors um, and it looks like you're going to be competitive at the major league level. Whereas you could easily look at the angels situation and the talent they've graduated to help the kind of core of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on their major league team. Um, and they haven't really moved the needle in terms of wins now at the major league level. Um, and, and so if you don't feel confident in where your major league team is, and you also don't feel confident in the talent pipeline, I could see just being a little concerned of that if you're a fan. So just how do you guys view these bottom tier of teams and i guess the third one was the astros obviously they've had uh success at the big league level so maybe you're not too uh too concerned so basically how, how concerned should angels fans be i guess is my question and what do you guys think of think of these systems down here alarmed um, <laughs> <laughs> would would be would be mine for the angels i mean with the astros you you have obviously good reason why you're 
down there and you lost those draft picks. I mean, it's not a good reason why they, they lost the draft picks, but it's understandable why they're there. Um, the White Sox is, is more concerning. Obviously, they have graduated a lot more talent to the major league level recently. Um, but if you're the Angels, like, like that's that's really concerning what's going on in that organization. They have not had success at the major league level. They have not drafted well. It's, it's again, just alarming to see them still stuck toward the bottom of this list right now. Yeah, and I'll, I'll chime in and say the one positive that the Angels have going for them is that things have changed a little bit in the front office. I mean, we'll see how they operate and how things function, but I think you can maybe take some solace in that. Um, I don't feel good about a straight pitching draft in 2021, right? I, I didn't totally hate it. Like, I felt like this was a, uh, uh, a particular draft class mm-hmm. where I personally thought a lot of the value – depth in the later you know after round three mm-hmm. was in a lot of the college starters yeah i say that a bit tongue-in-cheek but i am really curious to see how it pans out uh, like you i like a lot of the arms they took and and obviously pitching has been a massive area of need for them it seems like every year at the major league level it's like where are the pitchers so uh, yeah. i certainly understand it and they went after college arms heavily so you know i think there's some benefit to that mm-hmm. too first um, 11 picks they- for college arms they were a team that I always felt like they get to like the third, fourth, fifth round, and they would start taking these wild shots. Uh, who was the homeschooled shortstop that they drafted like four drafts ago that like, I don't think he ever got out of a ball, but they had a ton of guys like that were like, wow, this is like a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's a lot more upside here, but like the foundational skills were like messy. Um, they really went after a lot of guys like that for a lot of years and just, kept striking out in the draft um and, and it's funny because i feel like just based on the last couple of years they've had some decent international signings i mean ben can certainly correct me if i'm wrong um it's just a matter of them like actually building some depth i can't when was the last time the angels system really went like 15 deep with guys who were mm-hmm. roll, like real like roll 40s even yeah um, it's and that's, been a long that's- time that also yeah. seems like a separator for really all these teams at the bottom. I mean, even if you include the the A's in this discussion, I really only brought up the bottom three, but the A's in the last five years have had a top 10 system. The Astros in the last five years have had multiple top 10 systems. The White Sox in the last 10 or last five years, excuse me, they've had three top 10 systems. The highest that we've ranked the Angels going back to 2017 in this exercise is 13. And it really does seem like they've kind of just been in that dreaded middle, middle of the pack area. They haven't been picking at the very top of the draft. They've been finishing kind of in the middle of the rankings and the standings. Uh, And if you're not making savvy picks or, or really turning some guys careers, really advancing what they're doing development wise, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. And obviously with players like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, I would imagine unless you were a fan of other teams in the AL West, I mean, you're rooting for this team to get in the playoffs just because we want to see two of the biggest stars in the game on that stage. Mike Trout has been in the playoffs, what, in two series in his career? Like, yeah. And it's funny because they've done the same thing in the farm system. It's like it's like they're they're the way that they've operated is like, let's buy this beautiful oak tree and put it in the middle of our garden. And then instead of like, 
planting petunias and nice flowers around it. They just dump a bunch of like sand and trash around the, around this <laughs> giant tree in the middle of their garden. And I mean, we look, they've had as many top end guys really as anyone. Um, you know, because Otani was included in these rankings a few years ago. You know, they had Joe Adele, who obviously ranked really highly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just remarkable. I mean, other than Brandon Marsh and a couple other guys, they really haven't hit on, you know, a lot of those depth types or even had pieces that they could then move to improve the major league roster and for the stretch run. I mean, I think it's been a major flaw to their operation that it's 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 hurting them on a major league level and it's stopping them from competing because they don't have the ponies to deal for horses, you know? Um, and that's something that a lot of these teams have done. I mean, whoever it is, the, you know, big organizations like the Yankees or even a team like the Rays last year was able to acquire Nelson Cruz. It's just, they don't have that. The only thing that I'll add about the bottom four, cause I really think it is a bottom four. I like the Astros a little bit more than the A's because I feel like they do more with less that there's always like three guys every year from the Astros system where we're like, Oh, I didn't realize that guy was a 50, you know? Yeah. And we literally, I think in multiple podcasts now, we've talked about how much more we liked Jeremy Pena after going through the process and having, having a guy like that in the system is, is, is a nice ad. Yeah. And I think the thing with, you know, the athletics too, is they definitely deserve some criticism for some of their first round picks. Um, Soderstrom is a great pick. I really like that one a lot. Um, But you know, the Kyler Murray thing was a massive chance, even, even if he was going to play baseball, mm-hmm. I still think at the spot that they took him, that was still really risky based on what his track record was, you know, versus Absolutely. some of the other guys that were in there. And, and then I, you know, Logan Davidson has been a, a pretty rough pick. He had a terrible year at double a, he was a guy that struggled on the Cape um, was really up and down at Clemson. There were a lot of question marks around his glove and if he really was a shortstop. Yeah, he never hit over 300 in any of his years at Clemson. Yeah. Those hit tool questions were a concern. You definitely look at their picks and you see there are a few years where they're really chasing athleticism, upside tools. Austin Beck is another one. Like yeah. Austin Beck and Keone Cavaco are two of the like really toolsy high school shortstops that, that really just haven't panned out that well. And that was the same draft class i think joe adele went four picks later in that draft class but he was risky even at the time didn't play on the showcase circuit because of a knee injury and then really just had track record i remember watching him actually it was one of the first games i went to when i started full-time at baseball american austin beck was amazing in a, a game in high school in north carolina i think he hit two home runs doubled to right center was sprinting around the outfield like bat speed was incredible but he's really just not hit in pro ball for several years now so yeah, you really you really need Tyler Soderstrom's bat to continue being what it has been, um, and Max Muncy as well with their their first round pick in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's uh, it's it was one of those things where as I started to dig back on the other article I'm working on, you know, for bonus pool era drafts from like twelve to nineteen, you started to look at the last couple of picks and like when I was looking at certain schools' bad picks, it was like, oh, the the A's took him too. I think I might have had like Clemson, Oklahoma, you know, and, and Oklahoma like consecutively and was like, this is not good for the A's. So <laughs> I think that's what's, what's hurting them is like some of these guys that they've invested big dollars in and big draft capital in have returned zilch. I mean, they've returned nothing. Kyler Murray is never going to return anything, you know? And even if he, he did, he'd have to be so severely injured in football that he- Maybe some spring training appearances- get some off the field value there. 
yeah, sorry guys, you know, he should have just taken, you know, whoever. I mean, they could have <laughs> someone in the fourth round and it would have been a better pick than Murray yeah. there. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how how much that blew up on him, unfortunately. Ben, any last parting thoughts on our uh, org talent rankings before we jump into some listener questions here? The I'm curious if, if any teams for you guys in the back third jump out for you as either underrated or or you could see them popping up a little bit or i don't know there's a few teams like the padres for me i don't know i don't know if they're i wouldn't say they're underrated but i will say it's it's pretty impressive that they're not like at the very back end of this list it's insane yes. the number of people that they traded away and where they still like the, the talent they still have yeah they're they're a weird one because yeah i mean Gabriel Arias and Matt Brash are both top 100 prospects that, that they traded away. I mean, we just talked about the Cubs, like, I mean, Casey Preciado, like, uh, you know, Santana. Uh, I think it really just speaks to the depth that they had in, in that organization. Like yeah, the fact that they're not lower after making trades like that, you still have really key pieces like CJ Abrams, Robert Hassel, Luis Camposano. Like you could argue that McKenzie Gore is still top 100 talent. And if you can figure it out, you could feel pretty good about this system. They've got a lot of, I mean, we were talking about the Rangers going for high upside, like high school players. The Padres are like the peak of that mentality at this point. And some of those have, have looked pretty good. And some of those, maybe they're the development has stalled a little bit, but I think that's definitely one you could point to. And depending on how a few of these players perform in, in 2022 it could be significantly higher a year from now yeah and like xavier edwards uh munoz with um with seattle they've, they've just traded away so many guys because they have that depth i mean a lot of it's obviously come from their their international program and and they probably wish they had matt brash still <laughs> i'm sure in in hindsight but um it's it's impressive that like you said the, the talent that they still have and that they're not sunk to the very bottom of this list, given how many players they've traded away from their farm system to, to try to win now. So, uh, and, and they, you know, they have some pretty interesting breakout type guys coming, you know, at the, at the very lowest levels, guys like Victor Acosta at shortstop Samuel Zavala in, in the outfield. So they're still, again, for like a bottom third team, it's, it's still, per, they're, they're still pretty intriguing to me. I don't know if there's anybody else in this 21 yeah. to, to 30 range. It's still kind of intrigues either you guys though. Well, the, the Braves are right beside the Padres on our list. And, and again, maybe this is just a case of me doing the list. So I feel um, maybe a little bit more strongly about them, but I thought they were going to land somewhere in the 10 to 20 range, not closer towards the 20 side. Um, when I was doing the list, but the Braves are interesting because their top 10, I think is still very solid. There are a lot of upper level prospects that are going to be able to contribute very soon to a team that should still be competing for a national league East um, title and still a playoff candidate team. There are a lot of, I mean, both hitters and pitchers that I think very shortly could help this team win. Um, really what's interesting with the Braves is once you get beyond that 10, I mean, those international sanctions and where they've been picking in the draft, like there's no lower level bats that you can really point to and feel confident in. So that that's kind of like 
I guess for where the Braves are at as a major league team, I think this is a perfectly good farm system to have because you're going to be able to reload um, and fill in holes this year. I guess my question with them moving forward is like, who are going to be those lower level hitters like a Michael Harris, like a Vaughn Grissom, who are going to take that step forward next? Because if you look, I mean, beyond, beyond Vaughn Grissom, I don't have much confidence in any hitter in this organization. There are a lot of interesting pitchers, and I think Atlanta has been one of the better teams um, just in baseball and developing arms. So there are plenty of talented guys who throw hard, have really impressive stuff, but the hitting depth falls off here. And I'm curious to see if there's a player who's going to kind of jump into that Michael Harris or Von Grissom role, who's going to move up boards. And they're now more involved in the international side. So maybe some of those guys will help the lower levels of this system, but it's an interesting one to me for a number of ways. Yeah. I like the brave system a lot too. And I think that um, they've started to do a better job of uh, identifying and uh, developing pitching depth. That isn't just, you know, some of these really high upside prep guys that they had gone to, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, they've done really well on the college side and a lot of those guys have performed really well. Um, you know, and I, I, I think the other part of it too, is like they have guys that could actually make a fairly big jump this year. Fawn Grisham continues to hit the way he hit last year. Um, he's going to be on the cusp of a lot of top 100 conversations, I think fairly quickly. Um, Michael Harris, we know is a good prospect. Um, and they have some big arms, you know, if, if, if Cusick comes out and proves that he can start and, you know, the, the, the switch to a slider has made the difference for him, mm -hmm. you know, even if that guy ends up being, you know, a back end of the bullpen, even like a two inning weapon, that's yeah. a really valuable player to a winning team. Yeah. The strikes, uh, the step forward and strikes that he showed in a brief pro debut, yeah. I mean, is, is much better than anything that he ever did at Wake Forest and, and I didn't like the curveball that he threw. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, it was just easy to pick up out of the hand, you know. Mm -hmm. And he's also one of those guys that I felt like every time I watched Cusick last year, he'd dominate for two or three innings. And that would just have an absolute, like, implosion. Yeah. Command or, he'd, you know, he'd start to uh, mainline fastballs, you know, center cut. And it's just that's the sort of stuff that can that can go on him. But, like, Bryce Elder's a lot better. Um, they did a great job identifying Spencer Strider. You know who who made it all the way up. I think hundred percent. He went from the lowest level of the minors in terms of full season all the way up to the majors this year. Started. Yeah, he had two innings. He went up through every level. Was a fifth round pick coming off injury at Clemson. We didn't have him ranked on the BA five hundred. That's one where they definitely had an info. They liked him on the field. They liked him off the field. The stuff was better. He's very cerebral in how he kind of approaches the game, and then obviously climbing the ladder like he did, striking out everyone with that fastball breaking ball combination i mean i'm curious to see how the secondaries develop and how reliant he's going to be on just that fastball breaking ball is he going to develop a third pitch but yeah certainly the arms for the braves just keep on coming i stand joey estes too and the last thing i'll add on the mm -hmm. Braves is i was really impressed they have a traveling um position that's you know sort of not a scouting job not an analytics job but they have a like a, a camera guy that travels around with a high-speed camera you know, and was that all these different locations at the Cape? You know, was that a start for uh, Hubbard with him? Was that a start for um, for Tanner Witt with him? I almost said Bobby Witt. Uh, with Tanner Witt with him. And it was like, you know, I was asking questions. And he's like, I write reports. I turn in reports just like our analysts do, just like our scouts do. And I thought that was really interesting because I hadn't seen too many other teams that were doing that with their own tech um, and having somebody in that specific position that sort of sat between the two departments. So... Um, maybe that's one of the reasons they've been able to kind of nail some of these, these, these pitchers over the last couple of years based on, uh, 
you know, some of that information. So uh, I think that was a good point. Braves are really interesting in the back end of this and could improve. Did you have any the, other uh, spin or did we, did we cover them? Yeah, a couple other teams. I think they both belong in the 20s. So I don't want to overstate this, but um, the, the Rockies are intriguing to me. I, I mean, I, obviously, I, I love Zach Veen. I've loved Zach Veen for a while. Um, I, I think they just, their, their international program right now has been signing some really intriguing players at the lower levels that just aren't aren't famous yet and again like we were talking about with the cubs most of these guys you know will not work out but there's enough of them and enough pretty exciting breakout candidates that some of them will click uh you know guys like you know adiel amador uh, you know like ezekiel tovar is a little bit further up the the chain obviously but you know like a guy like amador or coming out of the dsl where you have Yankee L. Fernandez, Adrian Pinto, uh, some of the pitching prospects that, that I wrote about in my DSL arm story, I think are, are really intriguing. So, um, you know, I, again, I don't love the farm system. I, I think they're ranked in, in the right spot, but I, I, I do like those systems that have that range of, of lower level breakout candidates. And I, I like what the Rockies have been bringing into their organization the last few years. Uh, internationally and then you know I guess following what I said earlier where you kind of overrate the systems that that you wrote up yourself or, or that you know the best so uh, the Brewers again another organization that I think is ranked in in the right spot but does have you know like Aaron Ashby he'll he'll graduate quickly presumably um, this year but he's their only top 100 guy but certainly you like Bryce Terang, Garrett Mitchell, Sal Friel, like, these yeah. guys are all I feel like they had right. a bunch of guys who were on the cusp. Yeah, exactly. Like they're very borderline top 100 guys right now. Like, you know, the number, there's not a great difference between the number 83 prospect in baseball and the number 127, mm -hmm. right? It's not like the difference between four and 44. Um, so, so they have those guys. I, I like their draft obviously with Freilich and, and Tyler Black um joey weimer is very divisive <laughs> he could end up being uh an all-star uh we'll see uh i'd like to see him do it at, at higher levels but uh you know some unconventional things there but it, it seems to to work for him and, and i think his swing is is better than it was coming out of college and and another team that i think has done a really good job in the last few years internationally, especially obviously in, in Venezuela, getting players like Hedbert Perez and Jefferson Quiro, Jackson Churio, um, you know, Hendry Mendez, obviously too, out of the Dominican Republic. So they have a, a bunch of really interesting breakout candidates at the lower levels to go with those kind of borderline top 100 guys. I, I don't think their depth is, is that great. Um, and I, and I do think they belong in, in the twenties here, but they're, they're more interesting to me than some of their neighbors, I guess, in, in this range. Nice. Well, if we didn't talk about your favorite team, we simply hate them. Um, and we don't like their farm system at all. Um, but if we did talk about your team, hopefully uh, it was interesting to you and, and more seriously, hopefully it was all interesting to you, regardless of your, your fandom affiliations, but we've got a few questions that I wanted to jump in on before we wrap. Um, and I'll just kind of throw these at you guys and see what we think. But as always, thank you guys for 
for sending us questions. You can really at any point um, on Twitter. I'm at Carlos Colazzo, Carlos A. Colazzo. Ben is at Ben Badler. And on Instagram at Ben Badler. Jeff, what, what is your Twitter? It's Jeff Ponce BA, I believe. It is Jeff Ponce BA. It's yeah, so, if, so definitely follow Jeff if you are not already. And I guess you can throw him questions as well. I'm, I'm sure he, he will uh, happily answer them. Um, but let's jump into some for this week. We had Rob on Twitter ask, what's your philosophy on challenging players with potential by moving them up faster? Thinking Jason Dominguez, for example, do the Yankees move him to high A because his tools support future success or keep him in Tampa until he actually does better. And kind of similar to this conversation, we had another Jason Dominguez question from Dynasty Junkie on Twitter. And he basically made the comment, Dominguez was one of only six hitters, 18 years old to finish in low A. He was one of two to have a positive WRC plus. Should we not consider this a successful season? So I'll let you guys kind of tackle whichever parts of these questions you want to. Um, but thoughts on pushing players up the minor league ladder and I guess thoughts on Jason Dominguez more generally, Ben, I'll go to you first. I think it depends just on a case by case basis. Um, I I was surprised that the Yankees did promote Dominguez so aggressively last year. I mean, he was a 2019 international signing. There was no 2020 season. And, and the Yankees obviously did do a good job as far as development during the pandemic when there was no minor league season with guys like Volpe and Peraza and, and some of their other players. But it, it's different when you're talking about, uh, at, the, at that time, a 17-year-old from the Dominican Republic who has no professional baseball experience like the Yankees didn't really even have much of a Dominican instructional league season in 2019 and then they didn't have an instructs in 2020 I think it was just them and the Cardinals right that that didn't do it so like those guys just need to play in in a lot of games and he's he's a really talented player but I I was surprised that they pushed him so aggressively I, I think they, they probably felt confident in him both just on the field and, and off the field to be able to, to handle it. But again, like it's, you know, you, you have a, a, a really young player coming over, not just his first professional season, his first time in, in a new country. There's, there's a whole lot of things going on there. And, and particularly in his case where, you know, I'm sure he's getting hounded by, you know, people looking for, autographs or this or or that and just so many expectations and and spotlight on him I, I was surprised that they pushed him so aggressively so um i i don't know exactly what the right thing is to do for him i could certainly see keeping him in um you know in low a this year because i i generally like to see a player at a level where he He's going to have success. I mean, you know, I've heard the argument where you want to, you know, maybe challenge a guy and and push a player fast so he can, you know, learn to experience failure for the first time. But I don't know. You're going to experience failure a lot, like (laughs) pretty much no matter what in baseball. So I think usually that I I have a hard time buying into into that. So I, I, I guess I err on the side of being more, more conservative with an assignment and all right, well, if he comes out and it's 
you know, the end of May and he has a, you know, a thousand OPS in, in low A, then yeah. All right. Let's, 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 let's move him up. Uh, if you think he's ready for that. So I guess I would err on the, on the side of um, being, I, I don't even know if I'd call it conservative, right? He'd be a 19 year old in, in low A. That would just be a, a pretty normal trajectory for him, but I, I, I'm not totally sure what, what the right call mm-hmm. is there. I think you meant to say uh, 1000 ops, by the way, Ben, but Jeff, do you have any thoughts on this? Oof. Um, is, are you an ops guy and an OPS guy? Yeah, well, you can weigh in on this too. I think we talked about this several podcasts ago and I, I'm an ops guy. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Ben is, Ben is strongly OPS. I'm an ops this guy. I actually got, I got back. multiple people texting me about how I was wrong about this, Ben. You'd be happy it's, to know that. It's, it's OPS because I'm old and that's, that's what makes sense to me. I don't even think I've really heard ops said that much, but yeah, there you go. It's fun. I'll keep fighting the ops battle and the Taco Bell battle simultaneously. The J. Cole battle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the J. Cole battle is one I don't need to fight. There are many others who would fight it for me. Absolutely. I had a few of those <laughs> offline the other day. Um, so uh, uh, the thing I'll add, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a backseat here. Ben knows a lot more about Jason Dominguez. I think that probably just about anybody that's in the public space and has a much uh, more nuanced understanding of these players and, you know, what they, what they deal with is they come over and then come stateside and then come to a full season level. Um, I think the only thing that's unfortunate about Dominguez is just the expectations from the public. And some of that I think was the 2020 pandemic. It was like nothing going on as baseball cards come out, people are buying them for a hundred thousand dollars and like these absurd prices. Um, and like the, 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 the bandwagon and, and just the, the amount of hype that he had had nothing to do with, the type of player he was and really the only thing he could have done this year that really would have like maintained it is if he came out and had a had a 1000 ops uh carlos and like got promoted oh. to hudson valley like <laughs> within a month like that's kind of where people expected uh, there was a rumor out there i don't know if you remember this right before the minor league assignments got announced that dominguez was headed to hudson valley do you remember that there was like a two-hour window on Twitter where people were claiming that Dominguez was at Hudson Valley. And like, think about how crazy that is. Like a guy that has never played States. I never played professionally. Hasn't had, you know, instructs for, 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 you know, heaven's sake. And then you take a step forward and like, there's people that want him to, to be in high A. And I just think the expectations were so out of whack with Dominguez that um, I hope that this year serves to take a step back and, you know, kill some of the hype a little bit and we're able to go out there and, and just watch a really talented player that I think can do things that a lot of other players can't do. Does that mean that he's going to be Mike Trout or Mickey Mantle or whatever the heck, you know, comps he was getting? No, he probably isn't. But like somebody told me, like if, if he turns out to be Cole Calhoun, the, we're not going to be mad. And that was someone within the organization. So well, we, some, some people certainly will be. <laughs> Yeah, I think some people will be, but like if you get an everyday major leaguer from from 100%. that investment in the international market, and you know, like you're not gonna you're not gonna be upset with that. I just think it's the expectations of what these guys are supposed to be versus what they are, and um, you know, I think we've just gotten so used to you know Ben puts the number one out there, and we get Juan de Franco, you know, we get Vlad, we get all these guys. We just there's a track record there that I think people really wanted to buy into where it's not always linear and he had 
the most unusual circumstances that probably any international class has dealt with. Though I think the, the last two probably have a case too, but it's, it's, it's just, it's so hard to put into perspective what he's done versus what the expectations are. And when you take a look at it, it really wasn't that bad. A hundred percent. The, the expectations or what a player signs for or what round he's drafted in totally changes the way we talk about players or even in conversations with scouts, the, the way we'll talk about a player, like we, we could talk about the same exact player. And if he goes in the top 10 overall picks, we might be like, Oh, I, I hate that pick. Like, well, how could you take that guy there? Here's, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons why he doesn't belong here. And if you get that same guy, in the third round, it'll be like, oh, I love that pick. To get the guy in the third round, like, here's A, B, and C, why, why I love him. So it's, you know, there's no draft, obviously, internationally for, well, for now. For now. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, when, when a guy signs for a lot of money or there's big expectations and, and people are throwing around um, probably some unrealistic things about a player, uh, then the there's definitely a reaction to, to try to, you know, knock him down a peg or just, just the way you talk about a player can, can change based on, based on that, even though the reality is we just need to step back and just evaluate the player on, on his own merits. Yep. Well said. Uh, we've got another question kind of following up on our hall of fame conversation from last week, old style guy on Twitter asks who has better hall of fame chances between Cole Hamels or Jacob deGrom. Um, do you guys have any strong opinions here for me? I think we actually had a conversation about this prior to, or maybe it was when DeGrom got injured last year. Like if, if he never pitched again, would he be a hall of famer? Maybe we even talked about it on this podcast, but for me, like DeGrom has to be, he's been so dominant. He's only pitched eight years. I'm sure there are going to be some people who will say, no, you, you can't be in the hall of fame with, 1200 innings under your belt but i think this is kind of tying into the conversation we had last week ben about how do we evaluate modern pitchers what are the what are the milestones that a starter needs to hit to get into that status um as what what teams ask starters to do shifts and changes but for me he's just been so dominant like cole hamels was never as dominant as Degrom. he's won the cy young award twice he's finished top three a, a, a third time um, and again, if he was healthy this year, there's a chance he could be looking at three Cy Young awards. Cole Hamels, he finished top 10, four times, never higher than five, but he also had a number of 200 inning seasons, um, 15 years of being a really productive pitcher. Um, so his is definitely more of a like body of work case than a peak dominance case, but just how do you guys view these pitchers for me? I, I would lean towards DeGrom, but, um, I could see a, a compelling argument in the opposite direction as well. Yeah, I think it depends who's doing the voting, right? Um, if you like subscribe to certain standards um, of you know minimum innings and and some of that stuff, it's probably Hamels. Um, but you know, I think there's a, a case with Degrom where you're talking about what his three best seasons are better than Hamels' best season, um, and you know he's reached a height at certain points in, in his career that other guys haven't. And I think to a degree has probably been a victim of being on some, some bad teams or mediocre teams. Um, 
where it hasn't really mattered as much, you know, where there might be more W's, some of that stuff might. Yeah. Those winds are heavily deflated for, for Mr. DeGrom. And I think it's, it's going to be a matter of how do we handle this first group of starters that have no shot at 300 wins. Right. Um, Cause we're kind of past the steroid guys are off the ballot now, right? Clemens is off. We're kind of losing the last couple of those guys. Um, and it's like, how do, how do the modern pitchers get viewed in terms of their production and, you know, their overall, we'll say innings or, you know, whatever that limit is. Cause it's, it's obviously going to be smaller. Um, but, you know, I think there's other elements of the game that you have to take into account as well. Um, and how pitching has changed so much in the last 10 years um, that, I mean, you look at what the strikeout numbers were years ago and it wasn't close. Um, and, you know, now we have guys like DeGrom that are doing stuff that only Nolan Ryan was doing during those periods. Um, and I think it's really hard for me not to say, hey, it's, it's DeGrom. But then I also take a step back to adding another wrinkle into this conversation. That was Johan Santana. Now, yep. he was a, a generation earlier but Santana was what the most dominant pitcher in baseball for at least three years. Like every time Santana was pitching, it was like, all right, twins are probably going to win that one. Um, and it's, it was similar to Grom and, and we've seen how he's been handled as a, as a hall of fame candidate. So um, I guess if DeGrom doesn't pitch again, it probably is going to hurt his case and he probably doesn't get in. We even get like three more, like very good years. I think DeGrom gets in. Um, it's just because of how high that peak is yeah it's insane the amount of black ink that santana has on his bref page like i was just kind of looking at cole hamels and degrom for this conversation like degrom has a decent amount and then you go to santana and for three years he led the league in strikeouts era plus fip whip era like it's insane the amount of black ink that he has but ben i'll throw it to you uh, since you haven't chimed in Uh, yeah I, i think hamels is just right on the borderline of being a hall of famer. And like we talked about, I think in our last podcast, I, I, I tend to lean more toward putting the pitchers in and, and being more lenient towards pitchers of the past 15 to maybe 15 to 20 years and saying, look, these guys are not throwing the innings that they used to in the sixties and, and the seventies and the eighties. Uh, it's, it's just a, a different game. We can't expect them to, do that so i think hamels is is borderline he'll be on the ballot i think by the time i i have a vote so i'll I'll need to take a much closer look at it at that time uh but i i I could definitely see him getting in to grom man i mean and it sucks too because i mean Degrom didn't get to the big leagues until he was 26 right so those early years that you would typically get he doesn't have that under under his belt at the major league level his peak obviously has been phenomenal but i i think we would have to see more just more from him on on the back end of his career still uh because i i think he's just a guy who had a you know a phenomenal phenomenal peak the the best pitcher in baseball for for multiple years, but I, I think we probably just need to see him do it for a little bit longer, especially because that front end of his career didn't really get started at the major league level until he was 
26, which, which hurts him, unfortunately. Yep. Uh, our next, or go ahead, Jeff. You had something. I want to follow up here just cause, cause you know, I'm, I'm an old man, but um, this is a stupid question and it gets asked a lot in hall of fame conversations, but some reason in my gut, I feel like it does matter more than it probably should. Do you feel like Hamill's ever felt like a true top five ace in the majors? I don't think he was. That's what I was thinking. Like, like what, what the is the highest, crazy. the highest yeah. regarded Hamill's was during his peak? Like with DeGrom, like you were saying, Ben, like he's certainly been in the top tier, like best aces in baseball conversation. Even if like, I do think there is a group of pitchers who've kind of been around that you also put in that conversation. And maybe you argue it was a Scherzer or a Garrett Cole or a Verlander or a Kershaw, like any of those guys, I guess, depending on the year, you could make a case. They are the best pitcher in baseball. I don't know that there's one like very clearly for the last five years has been the best, but certainly all those guys have cases. Um, but yeah, Hamels, it just, it doesn't seem like he ever reached that, that peak in terms of how he was seen in the game. No, I mean, he was definitely, he was never at the level of like DeGrom. That's, for sure i don't i don't even think he made that many all-star games in in his career four, like it almost feels like he was, he was a little bit underappreciated yeah he was an all-star <laughs> four times now. yeah and his, and his team went out and acquired roy halliday and cliff lee too mm-hmm. not not that you don't want a bunch of aces in your rotation but you know i think that's also part of it you can say that at any point in time uh he probably had the third best career <laughs> of the three I was a big Cole uh, Cliff Lee guy. So there's probably a conversation to say that Hamels is better, but you know, I thought the peak for both uh, Howard and Lee um, were both higher than Hamels too. So I don't know. So it's the Sandy Kopex thing with, with DeGrom to a degree, you know, it's just like, is that peak worth more than, you know, the sustained success over a 20 year period? You know, would you rather have Dick Allen or Craig Biggio? I'd rather have Dick Allen. Yep. So if you guys have strong takes on this one, let us know where you uh, lean on this argument or discussion. Um, we've got a question from Bowman on Instagram who asked, which international players are you most excited to see play stateside this year? Um, ben, I think you're an obvious uh, person to throw this one to. I think Christian Santana with the Tigers is is a really interesting one. Um, athletic shortstop who's from the Dominican Republic played his first year in the Dominican summer league this past year and has a a really good swing, good sense of the strike zone. Uh, I thought he'd be more of like a line drive gap to gap doubles type power guy who, who would hit well right away uh, and get on base at a, a pretty good clip, but he hit for some surprising power too. So I think you have a, an athletic shortstop who can hit, get on base, and is hitting for more power than expected. Um, I could see him being a, a pretty big breakout candidate for them this year. Um, and I mentioned uh, Yankee El for uh, Yankee El Fernandez too with the Rockies earlier. Um, nowhere near the athlete <laughs> uh, that that we just talked about with with Santana. Um, it's probably, he does have a good arm. It could be right fields. The mobility ultimately might just restrict him to first base long-term if he just gets enormous. Um, 
but he might hit enough to to get there. It's it's saying a lot, obviously, for uh, you know a teenager who hasn't played out of the DSL yet, but um, can hit can hit with power. Uh, really big offensive upside with him. So those are those are two guys who um, who I've got my eye on coming over this year. Jeff, is there anyone that you had in mind? I, I don't have anyone off the top of my head. Um, so if you don't, that's fine. But I wanted to give you a chance if you do. Those would have been two that I would have thrown out there. And I just wanted to double check if this guy spent the season in the DSL. He did. I, I mentioned him earlier uh, as part of the genius of the Rays. And that's Junior Caminero, um, who was acquired uh, from Cleveland uh, at the uh, the 40-man decla- uh, declaration deadline. And um, I've had a few analysts, like I said, pop pop him uh, to me saying, hey, this is a guy that could definitely jump over the next year or so. So I'm interested to see what he looks like. And I think uh, the fact that Tampa went and acquired him probably only adds to the intrigue. So um, Absolutely. I think Ben's, Ben's two were great. He got me back a little bit for uh, earlier on in the show and, and t- taking his thunder, thunder with that. <laughs> so those are the two guys. I love Santana's swing. I think I had shared some video with Ben too. And um He's one of those guys where it's like, it's just super tight in terms of the launch angle. It's really, really uh, short to the ball, but long through. Um, So he he extends really well through the ball. I really like his swing. It's one of the better swings I've seen from a a DSL kid this this, uh, offseason. Nice. So there you go. We have Christian on Instagram asks, do you guys see teams being allowed to trade first round picks anytime soon? Um, I mean, we haven't, we've had some things that are being discussed in the draft leak out the lottery seems like there's a decent chance a lottery system is going to be coming to the draft just because I mean, MLB proposed a lottery system. Uh, the players association countered with a more extended lottery system at the top. Um, nothing about uh, trading picks has come out. That doesn't mean that hasn't been discussed, but uh, I think I would probably be a little bit surprised if it happened just because it doesn't seem like, people that I've talked with don't think that MLB wants teams to be able to trade just because there is some, some concern that some teams are going to get abused by that. I think that's a pretty lame answer to not trading picks, but I would be a little bit surprised if that happened. Although I'm at the point now where I think it would be a lot of fun if we did, if we could trade draft picks. So it's not really a real answer. I don't have any true insight into this. Ben or Jeff, do you guys have thoughts on, on whether or not this will happen and whether or not you want it? Honestly, I haven't, I I saw it the other day. I tried to think about the application and how MLB would go about it. And I I really couldn't unless they completely scrap the bonus pool system. And I think that's what's the, probably for some teams, I would say, or maybe for a lot of them in the way is that uh, they do like that. The fact that they can spread some of that money around and, you know, do what they do. So um, now I don't know, maybe there's some compensation that could be sent back and I just haven't, you know, gone down the, the wormhole enough to think about all the potential possibilities. But um, I'll just say from, you know, somebody who follows the draft and really enjoys draft content, it would be a blast and probably wouldn't be so bad for the promotion of the draft in the game if they did allow some draft pick trading. So I'd be bad for my mental health as we approached peak mock draft season, oh, but you're definitely right that the interest would be amped up. <laughs> We'd have a new mock draft every hour, let alone like a week or whatever. Uh, don't don't give anyone any ideas, Jeff. <laughs> I don't ben? think we're going to see any changes in 
this CBA, as far as trading picks, there, there are much bigger priorities. I don't think it's like a push for the union either to be able to trade picks. I, I doubt they really care much <laughs> one way or the other. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we saw teams being allowed to trade more picks in the following CBA. And, and the, the only reason I say that is because I think in this upcoming CBA, we're likely to get an international draft and the way an international draft would at least has been talked about previously, the structure could be something where you have hard slotting, right? So in the draft right now, the pick value for, you know, a pick is let's say $4 million, but then the team says, all right, well, we're going to take a guy here and give them $3 million instead and spread that extra $1 million pool space around to other players later in the draft. See any Baltimore Orioles draft for an example of this. Yes. Or the aforementioned pirates draft. Right. Yep. So, but internationally, I think like we talked about last time, you would probably have a hard slot. And part of that would be to say, you know, all right, if, if the slot value is a million dollars, you don't want, you know, the pirates owner going to the player and, or going to his GM or international director and saying, let's not give him a million dollars. Let's give him $300,000. What is he going to do? Go back into, go back into Caracas for, you know, just to train again for another year. Uh, and he has no college leverage and, and then he's going to find himself in the same situation again a year from now. No, he's going to take the, you know, 30% of <laughs> of the slot value and, and, and the owner is going to benefit from that. So it, but if you have a hard slot value, then it's all right. The slot value is a million dollars. If you take this player, you need to pay him that amount of money. So the clubs, like at least as far as the, you know, like the international scouting directors, their concern with that would be, well, you know, sometimes like the slot value might be higher. <laughs> we just might not think a guy who's available with the, you know, 28th overall pick in the international draft is going to be worth, you know, 1.2 million or, or whatever the slot value might be. And, and we would still have to pay him that amount of money. So the, uh, the, what, what you can do then from MLB's perspective would be to allow a team to trade that pick, it, it enters a little bit more freedom into the system. So I, I think if there's an international draft, there's a chance we could see teams having more freedom to trade draft picks. So then MLB could see, you know, could have years of, of data to see how trading draft picks is going to work in practice internationally before making a decision on, okay, should we maybe try this with some more picks to be available for training in, in the draft domestically too? So I don't, I don't think we're going to see that in this CBA, uh, but I would not be surprised if, you know, we're having this conversation in six, seven years maybe, and, and teams are allowed to trade draft picks, which I'm in favor of. I'm generally pro freedom. So <laughs> I think, I'm anti-freedom, actually. I would have to fight you on that one. Well, the, I just think, yeah, the, the more the more options you have available to you, the the better it is. And if 
you know, if, if there is a concern that MLB is almost trying to protect teams from themselves, I don't, I'm not, I'm not aligned with that. I think if you make good decisions, you should be rewarded as an organization for those good decisions. And if you make bad decisions, you should be punished for, uh, or you should have, you know, just deal with the ramifications of, of making poor choices. Ben is a all for individual responsibility. Love it. Um, our last question comes from four loco on Instagram. Speaking of responsibility, um, <laughs> giants catching prospect, Patrick Bailey, what are your thoughts on him? And when do you think he would make his major league debut 2023? Um, anyone want to tackle this one? I have some thoughts on Bailey, but I'm happy to throw it to you guys as well. Jeff, any, any takes on Bailey? I'm interested to hear what you think. Cause I feel like I've waffled like back and forth and like what his va- biggest value was like, was it yeah. defensively? Was it offensively? I think I sit more on the, the side with the bat at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a few years since I've seen him catch. I think I saw him catch in 2019 at BC when he was with yeah. state. Um, so it's been a little bit and you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not totally, totally sure uh, if they drafted him as a hitter, Joey Bart backup. It was, it was a weird pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume a lot of it had to do with the fact that he has really good analytical data in terms of exit numbers and then, um, you know, attack angles, launch angles and, and the such. So I, I know in terms of barrels, he was a guy that like based on the college data had been estimated by a lot of quants as, you know, being a, a potential um, barrel baron. I just want to do some alliteration. Sorry. Nice. Yeah, no, he's an interesting one to me. I, I first saw him in high school and at the time coming out in, in the 2017 high school class, he was very much a defense first catcher, really light bat. Like no one really thought he was going to have much upside or impact ability at all offensively. And, and basically as soon as he got to North Carolina state that changed, he set state's freshman home run record. Um, I think he had 13. Uh, he led ACC freshman in most of the major offensive categories, um, continued to show power throughout his career with state. In addition to having a very strong defensive reputation he called his own game at that level um but it's weird i mean when at the draft i think most people thought he was more of a power over hit catcher there was always some swing and miss the strikeout rate was a little bit concerning um and and based on what he's done so far in in pro ball that seems to hold true he swings and misses at a decent rate i think he's got a pretty good understanding of the zone so maybe it's just a guy who who has a chance to have on base value and a little bit of power from that catcher position, I'm curious. I think the exit velocity numbers are still good in pro ball with a wood bat, like you said, Jeff. So I'm kind of curious, like how much impact is he going to be able to get to? Because it does seem like just the pure hit tool is a little bit light. Um, but at the same time, the reports that we have on him, like the defense wasn't quite as good as I would have expected it to be. I don't know if that was tied to the injury or just adjusting to pro ball. So I'm a kind of a little in between on him. I don't really know how to feel. Uh, previously I'd have been really confident that he'd be a really, really good defender for you at a premium position. And so that, that power and whatever he would give you offensively is almost just, just additional value, just extra stuff on top. Um, but I don't know now, I guess we need to see probably a fully healthy year for him before I can kind of really go too far out on the limb either way. Uh, but Ben, do you have any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, kind of, you know, not a huge sample size, but did kind of hit a wall once he got to high a, which, not what you're hoping for from, you know, your first round pick coming out of college. Um, you know, I, I think he's still a, 
you know, a solid prospect. But I, I think if you were to redo that draft over again, he'd probably slip a little bit further down the board. Uh, I think there's a chance he develops into, you know, uh, a, an average regular behind the plate. I think there's also a scenario where, and maybe a more likely one where he turns into a, you know, a, a solid backup catcher at the, at the big league level. And that kind of wraps up all the questions that we have today. Again, you guys can send those to us on Twitter um, at Carlos A. Colazzo. You can send those to Ben at Ben Badler or at future pro pod on Twitter. Really at any point, we are always collecting them and throwing them into uh, the show sheet here for upcoming episodes. Um, before we get out of here, as always, let you guys plug what you're working on what you have coming up, anything you want the listeners to be aware of. Jeff, we will start with you. What do you have going on and uh, what should everyone be looking out for? Well, I got the call from the boss this morning that we're diving back into some Rule 5 content. So Uh-oh. I'm going to be spending my weekend doing some some content for previews. We're going to have that ready to go. Um, I don't know. Maybe JJ knows something about the labor negotiation. I don't know. but um, So we'll be working on some of that. I have another article that I know uh, Carlos has had a chance to take a look at. Um, that I'm sure will be divisive, but I, I wanted to look at which programs, which college programs, a big college guy, watch a lot of college baseball and TV in person over the course of the summer with the Cape Cod League, um, which college programs have been producing the best players since the advent of the bonus pool system. So we go back to 2012, kind of use 2019 as a cutoff just because we have a couple of years, plus they're guys that got drafted prior to the pandemic year. So, you know, it made it a little bit cleaner uh, and they were also all 40 round drafts. So, that's why I took that sample. Um, I did a top 25 or wrote up a little bit about who the top uh, drafted players were, bonus guys, or uh, I think it's an interesting study, something different than I think I've done before. Um, but I'm excited to get that out there over the next week or two. Um, and then uh, the one other thing is the podcast. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the 90th percentile will be focusing you know, heavily on the player development side of the game um, and just really asking good questions. And if there's any anybody you know that's on there that you want to uh, oh, excuse me, it's not on there. I haven't had on yet. And you have a suggestion, reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me, like I said, at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Ponce, P-O-N-T-E-S-B-A. So it's at Geoff Pontes B-A. You want to go <laughs> phonetically. Um, and then I'll have some other stuff that I'm working on, you know, just, just leading up to the season, um, looking at different prospects. I have some some ideas there and might drop some, some, some dynasty stuff too, uh, just because I'm in that mindset right now. Um, yeah. Be on the lookout for some interesting dynasty uh, content that, that we have in the works uh, just generally at BA. So I'm excited for, to announce that we can't yet, but um, yeah, definitely check out all of Jeff, Jeff's work, follow him on Twitter, subscribe to his podcast, rate and review it. Same as ours. Ben, what do you have coming up? I was also just going to tell people to listen to Jeff's podcast to the 90th percentile. It's, I mean, I, re- I really enjoy the long forum conversations that, we have on on here um and it's you know you just get into a lot more depth and and nuance than you can get from you know a twitter back and forth or a thread or or even a story where you're you know you you can get into a lot more detail in in long form writing obviously than in some of these shorter bite-sized places uh they get on social media but you know, just to be able to go back and forth and ask questions. I mean, like Jeff was talking about at the beginning of the show, 
you just get to learn so much. I mean, it, it doesn't stop after a decade or 20 years, or I'm sure it'll be the same, hopefully in my 40th year in <laughs> in baseball, hope when I'm, if I'm lucky enough to, to get there, it's just my favorite thing to do is just talk to people, learn from them. It, it never stops. So being able just to either be directly involved in, in those conversations or, or to be a, a fly on the wall for those sort of long form conversations with people who, um, you know, really are subject matter experts, I think is, is phenomenal. So I'm excited to have it on the BA podcast platform. And, and, and again, that, that prospect handbook, the digital version, if you order it, if you order the handbook direct from us at BA, we'll send you that. It's some of the best feedback we've had on stuff that we've put out in, um, in recent years. So uh, definitely appreciate the, the kind words on it, that word of mouth um, is, is the best marketing we have. So um, I'm telling you, if, if you get it, I, I really think you're, you're going to love it. So it's, it's the whole prospect handbook just at your, you know, in your phone, on your computer, on your iPad, wherever, wherever you want it. So um, I, I, I really, really highly recommend getting that if, if you haven't already. Yep. Could not have uh, said it better myself, Ben. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for joining us. I'm sure we'll try and have you on in the future if you want to uh, join us again. Um, but thank you to everyone who has listened to the full episode. Again, as always, thank you guys for rating and reviewing the show. And just thanks for joining us for these conversations. It's one of our favorite things to do, as Ben was saying. And as Jeff was talking about, we love talking baseball um, and love being able to kind of have these conversations with all of you guys. So thank you again. Uh, and until next time, for Jeff, for Ben, I'm Carlos. So long, everybody.